everyone. Welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This uh, recording is going to be for Theology 235, the Romans course, and we're going to be discussing Romans 12. I am here with Dr. Berg. We are practicing social distancing. He is on the other side of a table, about six feet from me, and we are uh, safe at home. Uh, We are in tucked in a corner um, away from uh, potential, I don't know, infectors. Uh, as we are recording this for our COVID-19 online learning series. So we're going to be discussing today Romans 12. We discussed together yesterday uh, Romans 11, where Paul kind of takes up the argument of uh, the Gentiles ought not become too prideful that they have been grafted in by grace into God's kingdom um, and look down upon those Jews who had not yet converted to the faith uh, because the very fact that the Gentiles have come to faith is a gift of grace and that the same God who has showed them grace will use their conversion to stir up uh, jealousy among some of the Jews that they might be converted as well. So this emphasis has been on God's grace and mercy and then on his choosing um, that those uh, among both Gentile and Jew whom God has chosen will be saved, uh, even if it appears that they are hardened at the moment, that God's promises, when they take hold of someone, will take hold of someone, uh, and pull them even through uh, hardened unbelief. And now he's going to shift with chapter 12 to the Christian life. Paul likes to do this in his letters. He likes to set up first, uh, most often, Uh, that we are justified by grace through faith, that uh, God is a God of mercy and of uh, peace for those who have the gift of the Spirit. Um, So he takes up uh, that God has elected or chosen us. Think of Ephesians. This is a big point there in the early chapters. And so he likes to set up up first our standing with God, and then he will shift to the Christian life. And that is what chapter 12 is going to do now. It's going to shift to the Christian life. And so we're going to talk about what it is to be a living sacrifice here in chapter 12. And then in the next recording, we'll get to chapter 13 and talk about uh, what what does it mean to be a Christian citizen. Uh, It makes a lot of sense that Paul talks about that in his letter to the Romans, since Rome is the center of government for the great empire of the time, the greatest empire in the known world. And so maybe if we take the first uh, three verses first, because they mark a big transition point. Again, notice how each of these chapters, we tend to have like two to four verses that we often take that mark a transition. And so we'll take that up first. Um, And Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And notice then the uh, the springboard, the transition point, the hinge pin of all of this is I appeal to you by the mercies of God. I think the old NIV translation, if I remember, is in view of God's mercy, right? With your eyes on how God has been merciful to you. Here is now how we live. And, uh, Mike, I know you, you use this, I believe, in your worship class, you said? Is yeah, that correct? absolutely. Um, yeah. Anything with this first section here, with these first couple verses, 
the idea of, of living sacrifice. Yeah, so it's an oxymoron, right? A sacrifice, by definition, is dead. And so how can you be a walking around sacrifice? This just doesn't make any sense. It would not have made sense either to a Jewish ear or to a Gentile ear in this in this. Uh, um, in this situation, this context. And so you, you kind of, it's kind of one of those things when you, you hear this and this probably would have been read out loud, right? Um, you kind of like perk up and you're like, what do you mean a living sacrifice is an oxymoron? And so, uh, when I, when I think about, uh, my Christian life as an old, old man and new man, right? The sinful nature, the sinner, and then the saint, the new man, it starts to make sense a little bit because when, I die to myself and live for other people. I think a couple of things are going on there. First, it's spiritual battle, right? Um, when I confess my sins, um, uh, my old sinful nature is killed to death. And then I'm resurrected uh, by the gospel, uh, resurrected to live anew. I'm made righteous. And, and, and then my life after that, my life of sanctification is when I, when I, do something for somebody else out of love, my neighbor. Then I, I'm dying to myself quite literally. And like, maybe I lose something as simple as time, maybe my treasure. Um, you know, women who become mothers literally suffer in the body for their children in profound ways. So you die to someone you lives for somebody else who are a living sacrifice in that sense. What's curious, though, is this idea about this is your spiritual act of worship. And so what I'll tell my students in, in worship is uh, Sunday is for getting, right? You don't go to Sunday to pay homage to God. That happens. You do show that he is worthy to you, the, the meaning of worship there. But finally, it is you get God's love. And then you go out into the world and you show God's love. The love comes through you and you act as a conduit of God's love to neighbor. And so my worship, how I show God worth is when I'm totally not even considering God because I already know that I'm good with God because of Jesus Christ. And I am who I am, who I've been made to be this righteous person who loves neighbor. And so, uh, this spiritual act of worship is carried out in my video vocations. And then Paul, the rest of this chapter is going to say, this is kind of how it looks like for you Romans Christians going out into a world that quite frankly is not Christian, right? And uh, has a different way of looking at sex, has a different way of looking of power, has a different way of looking at ethics, has a different way of looking at love. And so you are something different. You are a living sacrifice and you're going to be transformed. Your, your whole bodies, right? Notice the, the, the physicalness of this. Your whole bodies are going to be transformed. And notice also it's not like something just happens, boom, uh, you are transformed. I mean, I hate to say process, but what we mean by process there, not like you're becoming more holy or something like that, but we can all look back on our lives and, 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 and it would have been especially for like a, like a Gentile Christian or maybe even a Jewish Christian entering a new kind of uh, way of thinking about life. You look back on your life and you go, I did grow. God put me into a different situation where now I think a little bit different. In fact, if you don't look back on your past with, you know, a little bit, geez, I can't believe I was such an idiot. You probably haven't matured yet, right? And so you are, in a sense, being transformed, not in the sense that, oh, I'm on my way to being holy. No, you are holy. Boom, done. Already, It's already completed in Jesus Christ. Rather, the issue here is there is such a thing as spiritual growth. 
especially again for a pagan person who has then become Christian, their life is going to change, not instantaneously in a lot of ways, um, but you are going to be transformed into something else and you become more attuned with the will of God. And I think both of us would would look back on our, our uh, days of being a parent or a pastor or a husband and say, yeah, it, it took a while for me, my boneheaded ways to, to sort of change. Still screwing up, still a, still a sinner. But I think we both could say, yeah, I have matured. Um, not perfect, not even concerned about getting on my way to perfection. Not going to happen anyway, because who cares about me? It's, it's more about loving my neighbor. But we certainly can look back and say we have been transformed in quite profound ways. Yeah, and I think uh, notice that our that we are living sacrifices, which is a contradiction in terms, but that the sacrifice that we are also is already holy and acceptable to God, and and this in the ancient world would have been striking too, where bodies weren't thought of being holy, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> to be holy was to kind of get away from the body, and so that our bodies are holy and acceptable to God would have uh, struck the Romans as well. And it's not that we're living sacrifices to become holy and acceptable to God, but because we are holy and acceptable to God already. And so this is um, an important point that that Paul will make. Um, And as you mentioned, uh, Mike, this transforming by the renewal of your mind, um, if we think back to Romans chapter 7, right, this is really the symbol being lived out again. Do not be conformed to this world, that is, to your old nature, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is the new man in Christ dwelling in us through faith. So this living sacrifice that we are is by the Spirit, um, and it's through faith. And in this, the new man may discern what is the will of God, um, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the idea, too, that good works motivated by the gospel, right? Love finds outlets for love. Um, it doesn't always have have to have a to-do list um, or a, uh, a a manual for for how to show love. <clears throat> love will find love, um, and that is is what we will be able to do then also through faith. Um, Paul then has this section, and I think I'll just read the first verse and then let us comment on what follows, Mike. <clears throat> but if we take uh, three verse through eight, he says, "For the by the grace given to me." I'd say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And then he's going to do a kind of like uh, 2 Corinthians 12 thing with spiritual gifts. He's going to list some things um, that people might be gifted with the ability to do or dispositions that people might be gifted with. Um, But why does he feel the need, do you think, as he's turning to Christian life? Why do you think he feels the need, again, Mike, to lead with grace and to warn against thinking of yourself more highly than you ought um, or to think of yourself more highly than you would think of your brother or sister? It's very easy um, to convince yourself that you're a pretty darn good person, right? Um, And I think, as St. Paul is saying with the Gentiles, too, it is a life change, and a lot of this conversion would have been instantaneous in the sense that you're like the light bulb clicks and life looks looks better now the the sky is bluer the green the grass is greener um 
you you've overcome you 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 stopped going to the temple prostitutes um you started uh, you started seeing your wife or your husband in a different way um and 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 you can convince yourself well i did it why can't anybody else do it this seems to make sense we get this a lot in in america right uh you know, I was able to overcome this. I don't understand why anybody else cannot overcome this. And to be reminded, yeah, you didn't do it. Like this was God transforming you, right? So you, we, I suppose we could use the verb transform in the sense like I'm the subject and the object, I transform myself. But that's not how St. Paul talks. And so he is reminding these Gentile Christians through these last chapters, right? Just hold on a little bit here. You're not that great, right? And watch yourself because you can fall into the other ditch. One ditch is this idea of, you know, uh, miserable. I can't, I, I can't overcome all of this sin, whatever. Um, I'm living this lifestyle. I can't pull myself out of it. And then God does save you. And there is going to be some changes in that. But then you can fall into the other side of the ditch, which is to say, I'm pretty good, right? And they both end up in the wrong system, right? All the way back to first Corinthians or uh, Romans three, you, you're saying, God judge me by law. Uh, I'm righteous by law. And, uh, that may be even the worst ditch because at least in the first ditch, you know, you're, you're screw up. Yeah. And, and so notice that this, um, what Paul's talking about with the, uh, transforming of, in, or the transformed by the renewal of your mind and with the things that follow, um, a lot of the words in the Greek that are used, they're getting at here that this is a dispositional change, right? My disposition is changing. And so it's a, it's a Christocentric disposition that we have. Um, and all of these things that are focused on is my disposition is to see and serve my neighbor. And I think as, as you hit on there, Mike, the temptation becomes, uh, look at me, I'm living the Christian life. Uh, and to want to now start measuring or fruit checking um, and 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 to map out the progress that we're making. And that's really a turn back inward. And Paul has spent 11 chapters turning us outward. He turned us outward to see Christ in his righteousness. And now he's turning us outward to see our neighbor. And so this isn't like a a, a new law that Paul is giving because a new law turns us inward. This is a gospel-created disposition, a spirit-formed disposition that we will have. Maybe uh, if we take then the marks of a true Christian as the subheading that my ESV Bible has here. I don't know if the NIV has a subheading. Starting in verse 9? Yeah. It just says love. Love, okay. Um, and that's probably a better subheading than uh, marks of the true Christian. I'm, I'm guessing uh, someone reformed uh, <laughs> came up with that one. What strikes but you can me, understand that correctly. I mean, this is what a this is what <coughs> someone's going to look like. Yeah, right. I am not saying it's wrong. It just isn't how I would put yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but he begins with in verse nine. Uh, he says, "Let love be genuine." And I think really what follows is a description of uh, what genuine love looks like. But it's really interesting to me, and maybe Mike, you'll disagree with me on this. Doesn't this sound a lot like the Sermon on the Mount? Mm-hmm. As Paul now says what the Christian life will look like and be like, um, he says uh, things like love one another with brotherly, brotherly affection. Um, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Think of uh, you know, the blessed are those, the beatitudes. Um, bless those who persecute you, love your enemies. Um, 
Blessed are those who mourn. Well, weep with those who weep. Uh, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Repay no one evil for evil. Turn the other cheek. Um, and so I, it's interesting to me that, that here we have an echo of the Sermon on the Mount that comes back up because we've talked, what did we record on the Sermon on the Mount for? Was that from one of your classes? Yes. For 105. And we talk about how we sometimes wrestle with that. Um, the other thing it echoes is 1 Corinthians 13, right? Well, ultimately, what do both of these chapters describe? They, de- they describe Christ, right? And so love as Christ has loved you. And notice all of these works are rooted in neighbor, right? Um, I have a disposition of love for neighbor. Um, so they're rooted in neighbor in that my concern is for my neighbor, but the love is rooted in Christ's love now in me. I love my neighbor because I love my neighbor, not because they deserve it. That's how I can bless those who persecute me. It's not that in that moment that person is being a good person, but I love them because Christ has taught me to love the unlovable. Um, And so I think this is very interesting how Paul unpacks this. And some of these things seem downright uh, unattainable, right? They're very hard to live out. Um, But they are a description of, of what true love is. And, but and that love only comes when it's not based on a, a list, but on a disposition. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, so, you know, if we go back to cha- first, first couple cha- verses of this chapter, you know, the love of Christ given to you in worship, the so-called worship on Sunday morning, is then given away, right? It is, we talk about vocation as a Christological endeavor. Um, I see Christ in whom I serve, the, 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 the lowest of the low who needs a cup of cold water, but then as I serve this person, I am Christ's co-worker in this. And so it's all wrapped up into Christ. Um, I, Christ to you and Christ to me. You know, maybe I don't know if you want to uh, go a little bit further, but I, I, I'm kind of intrigued by the last section there of Romans chapter 12 when he talks about uh, taking revenge, right? And all the other ones are just kind of like, just do this, you know, persecute those, bless you, and, bless yeah, and that kind of stuff. Um, but he kind of gives a reason here for this, like, God's going to have his vengeance. And I think this is very powerful because we all, I mean, when someone wrongs us, whether it is something actually something has wronged us, or a lot of times it's just we perceive somebody has wronged us, you know, like, oh, this person doesn't like me and they have, you know, it's actually probably pretty worse. They just don't even think about you. And we perceive this and we even rehearse in our minds what we would say if we had the right opportunity to say something to this politician or to this CEO of this company or whatever. And and we feel good about ourselves as like a, like a, I can, I, I, the feeling of this, this vengeance that we have. And I think the better, uh, the better attitude is to say, you know, they're going to get theirs if they truly are this heinous people. Like, like you don't want to be in charge of vengeance. God is in charge of that. Let him do that kind of thing. And, uh, it's just, it's just a better attitude to have that when If I see someone who is evil and heinous, if my attitude is vengeance, I'm playing God. Number one, number two, it's bad for you. It's bad for you. And number three, if they're truly evil and heinous, I should have pity on them. Right. I mean, I should have pity on this the fellow human being. Yeah, they are. I, I, I should be. I should have pity on this person who is overtaken by, by this evil. And 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 that's where 
I think, is the motivation then in verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Uh, I, I, and we see this played out with Stephen. You know, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing, the men who are stoning him. See, it's Jesus on the cross. Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. The jailer um, at Philippi, Paul doesn't say, shouldn't have thrown me in jail, bro. Huh? Yeah, jerk. Um, what you but he is, gives yeah. him the gospel. Right. So I, I think it's just a, it's a healthier attitude for yourself. It's the right attitude. And quite frankly, it's, it's quite free. You get to the point where you're like, you know what? It's not going to bother me because th- that person's going to get there as it, if they truly are heinous. Uh, that's kind of a free thing. I'm freed from that burden. Well, and I think that dispositionally, too, to recognize that's not a healthy person. As you said about wanting to pity them, um, this can be, I think, very helpful, too, when we deal with people who are difficult to deal with or maybe lashing out at us uh, to remember for that person to be in that place, that's not good for them. They're not happy. Um, they're not in their right mind. They don't have shalom. They don't have peace. Um, and so rather than letting us, f- and the temptation is to fester on it. Mm-hmm. Well, what have we now done? We've let them in our head. Mm-hmm. Well, our mind is being trans- transformed in the renewal of our mind. Why Why in the world would we want to let that in our head? Uh, that's not healthy. That's not grace. Um, and so we, uh, it, it is to step back and to say, you know, I bet there's a lot that's driving this person to behave this way um, and, and to be able to pity them too. And so you leave vengeance to God, but at the same time you recognize that same God is a God of mercy and, and maybe he's at work on this person. Yeah. And sometimes when God is at work at a person and they're fighting back, um, right? Repentance is down the road. It's coming. But we, we all have had that experience where we kind of hit that stage where where we're lashing out. Um, and uh and so I think that's a very healthy uh, perspective you offer, Mike. And sometimes we can convince ourselves that really God needs us to do this. Like if I don't saw, if I if I am not pointing out the other person's sin, who is going to do it? As if as if God needed me, right? Now there are certain vocations where this is absolutely true. Like you are the one who is supposed to the magistrate, the ch- pastor, the yep. the parent chastising the, the children or whatever, but you do it on orders from God right? rather than this idea is like, Oh, if, if, well, if you're not going to say something, God, then I must do it. Right. And you put yourself under a bird or you put a burden on yourself that is unnecessary. And, P- and Luther unhelpful. talks about this in the eighth commandment. Um, <clears throat> and I have a video on that on the YouTube channel, but, but Luther says there's just certain times when it's vocationally, not your job yeah. to act on. You may even know something true about someone else. Mm-hmm. It's not your job to spread it because vocationally it's it's not your task. And so I, I, I would sometimes tell my members, do you really want other people's sins to take you to hell? <laughs> and they look at me like, what? And I said, well, are you going to hold on to their sins so tight that they will drag you to hell? I said, don't you have enough sins to drag you yeah. to hell without holding on to yeah. theirs? And I think this, this plays a, in. It's a defense mechanism, too, because right. I don't think about my sin because I'm so concentrated on somebody else's sin. Hello, our modern pol- political uh, situation. Right. And... Um, when 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 it's not your job and we don't want to take that too far right because we can we can make an excuse to say well it wasn't my job to you know stand up for what was right I, I, and this doesn't mean it's your job to approve of their right, sin either right, right, i mean that but boy that's freedom to know that god's got this taken care of by somebody else's vocation right and uh so uh, you know it's it's 
you got to check yourself and say, okay, as a someday we're going to be probably fathers-in-law. I'm guessing some of our children will get married. There are going to be times we're going to have to bite our tongue, right? When we're the grandparents and we got to let the parents do their job, even if they're screwing up. And you got to bite your tongue and, and be free from that burden. You may have to step in in certain circumstances, obviously. But to say, God's got this covered. It's not just, oh, my, you know, my, my son-in-law, my daughter-in-law is an idiot. I need, to, I need to step in, although that may be the case. But to say, God's, it's not just them. It's God working through them. It's going to be okay. So I don't need to be the judge, jury, and executioner. And that is actually quite relieving. And, and at those times, I may actually need to to love that person even more than I, than I otherwise would um, because it's good for them. And, and notice how this goes back to justification again. This is only possible in the confidence of faith, that, that God's got me. I'm, I'm good with God, um, and because I'm good with God, I'm able to try to be good even with my, with my enemy. Um, anything else you have on Chapter 12, Mike? No, good. That was pretty tight. What was that for time? The only 25 minutes. That is not bad. That's what I've been trying to keep the videos at. So um, we probably will record on Romans 13 uh, Mm -hmm. to have an episode up. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, I may do videos for 14, 15, 16. We'll see. Um, It depends how much Mike and I are able to record as we go forward. So for my class 8, 9, and 10, we're all on YouTube. 11, we already recorded. 12 is recorded. (coughs) These will be podcast sessions. Um, be checking the syllabus and then just check YouTube in the podcast like I've shown you in the video I published. And uh, and you'll be staying on, on pace. If you have any questions, shoot me an email. I'm happy to answer what I can. Um, I'm happy to set up uh, Zoom sessions if you need to kind of consult about anything. Just let me know. And in the meanwhile, let the bird fly. <laughs>